0: Our passage this morning, as we turn to the ministry of the Word, is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We are beginning chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. And as I have been saying recently, leave your Bibles open as I preach so that you can test what you are hearing against the infallible standard of the Word of God. Luke chapter 20, verses 1 Through eight. This morning I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is indeed the word of God for the people of God. Now, this morning we are continuing to look at Luke's account of the last week of Christ's earthly ministry. A week of uh, the life of Christ which is spent in the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, so far in this last week of Christ's earthly life... uh, So far, Christ coming to Jerusalem is marked by two great displays of His authority as the Messiah. The first display of His authority was the triumphal entry on the day that we call Palm Sunday. The day when He rode into the holy city on the back of a donkey as the prophet uh, prophesied the Messiah would do. And as He rode in, the crowds fell before Him, worshipping and crying out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That was the first great display of His authority as the Messiah. The second great display then of His authority is what we looked at last week. Where Jesus the Messiah enters into the temple grounds and purges it. He attacks and He conquers the temple. And He cleanses it of its perversion, its commercialization of the Gospel, its crookedness of worship, its corruption of Gospel ministry. Jesus conquered the temple. And now, today in our text, Luke tells us of another great display of the authority of Jesus Christ. Having cleansed the temple, now Jesus comes and takes His seat. He takes His seat, in a sense, as the chief teacher, the chief prophet, if you will, of the temple. He sits down and begins to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God declaring that God's kingdom is now among us. And for all who would come and repent and receive the Messiah as their Savior, they could and they would enter into God's eternal kingdom forever. We know that's what he was teaching and preaching because Luke says he preached the Gospel. And so put all of this together, beloved. Try to get the picture in your mind as to what's happening here over these uh, few days that Jesus has been in Jerusalem. The king of the kingdom of God comes to the holy city of God. He cleanses the house of God and restores it to a place of pure worship and prayer. And then he takes ownership of the house of God, ownership of the temple, by becoming its chief teacher and preacher. All of this is giving us a grand picture of the authority of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the anointed of God, as God Himself in the flesh. And for those of us who have been here in this church for a while as we've been reading and studying Luke's Gospel now for the last 78 weeks, I don't think any of this is, or it should not be, a surprise to us. We know, the readers of Luke's Gospel know that the authority that Jesus has is authority that only belongs to the One who is God Himself in the flesh. Christ's authority has already been declared to us. So seeing His authority on display now should not take us by surprise. His authority has been declared to us many times throughout the Gospel of Luke just by the titles that have been given to Jesus throughout Luke's writing In Luke's Gospel, we read that Jesus is called Son of the Most High, the Christ, the Holy One of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David. He is called Israel's King. And all of these titles that have been ascribed to Jesus proclaim His authority. Authority as one sent to us from the Father Himself. And more than that, we have heard of and we have seen throughout Luke's Gospel uh, actual, real displays in tangible ways of the the authority of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that Jesus taught with an authority that no one had ever heard before. That He had authority to heal illnesses. That He had authority to cast out demons. That He had authority to calm the storm. That He even had authority to raise the dead. So for us, if we receive Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus as Holy Spirit-inspired truth, for us, hopefully, we have no question as to the origins of the authority of Jesus Christ. And as we read of His triumphal entry, as we read of His conquering and cleansing of the temple, as we read of His teaching in the temple, hopefully none of us would question at this point by whose authority Jesus did these things. But the religious leaders of Israel, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, despite hearing, despite seeing, Uh, many of the same awesome displays of Christ's authority that we have seen throughout Luke's Gospel, despite seeing and hearing of all of that, they still rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected Him. They were threatened by the things He did. They were threatened by the very Gospel that He Himself preached. They were threatened by the titles that Jesus claimed for Himself. And as we heard last week, at the end of our passage last week, they were seeking To destroy him, and so our text opens up today with these so-called religious leaders of Israel coming to Jesus as he taught and preached in the temple, and they ask him, "By what authority do you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority?" That's the question they ask Jesus. There are two things we need to understand, beloved, about this situation. First, because of the way that Luke describes this group of religious leaders in verse 1, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, we know that this group was probably sent by the Sanhedrin, which was the official Jewish court of that day. They were sent by the Jewish court as an official inquiry. You've probably heard and you've probably studied the Spanish Inquisition. This was like the Jewish Inquisition. They were coming to question Jesus as official representation of the Sanhedrin. The court system of Israel wanted to know why this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, felt that he had the right to ride into Jerusalem in the manner in which he did, why he felt he had the right to cleanse the temple in the way he did, why he felt he had the right to sit down and begin to teach in the temple in the way that he was doing. By whose authority did Jesus do these things? Now, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I think naturally, this question is not necessarily out of line. If, you know, for example, if I and the elders decided to have a meeting on Saturday night, a session meeting or something, and we got to this church building, and we walked in, and our sanctuary was full of people, and there's a strange person standing up here preaching in our pulpit, leading a worship service that we knew nothing about, you can, you can bet your paycheck that we're going to interrupt that worship service and say, hey, who gave you the right to do this? By whose authority are you acting? And so on the surface, their question is a reasonable answer. But we should also understand, secondly, that while this group of religious leaders uh, were an official inquisition sent from the Sanhedrin, and while on the surface, it seems they were asking a reasonable question, uh, the actual question they asked Jesus, by whose authority, was not a sincere question. They knew already by whose authority Jesus claimed. The religious leaders of Israel already knew that Jesus claimed to act on His own authority, authority from God. Jesus has been making it clear throughout His earthly ministry that He has been sent by God the Father, and He was acting as the Messiah upon His own authority as the one sent by the Father to save His people. So this was not a sincere question. Instead, the religious leaders come to Jesus while He is publicly teaching and ask Him this question in front of the crowds in an attempt at entrapping Him. This is not the first time they've done this. Now they are doing it in an official sense within the temple itself. And we need to understand the trap that they were trying to set. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of an interesting move that the Sanhedrin makes here, given everything that has happened in the last few days. And I think that the Sanhedrin uh, must have thought that maybe the crowds didn't really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because by setting this trap, they were hoping, I think they were really hoping, that if Jesus replied to them publicly by saying, my authority was not given to me, but rather it is my own authority as the Messiah, they were hoping that when the crowds would hear that, it would immediately discredit Jesus in their eyes, and give the Sanhedrin opportunity to bring Jesus up on charges of blasphemy, which was an offense which carried with it the punishment of death. And honestly, given the events that will happen over the next few days from this event in the temple, I don't think that the Sanhedrin were too far off the mark. As I said the last few weeks, the same crowds that were worshiping Jesus on Palm Sunday would in just a few days be the same mob that would cry out for His crucifixion. And it may be already that as more and more time goes on, the longer and longer that Jesus is in the Holy City and not liberating it from Rome as the crowds expected, as the crowds wanted the Messiah to do, the more time passes, it may be that the more credibility Jesus is losing with the crowds already. And so, honestly, when you assess the situation the last week of Christ, and you realize how the crowds do turn against Him and call for His crucifixion, the Sanhedrin, uh, their trap may have been quite effective in this moment. It may be that the crowds, just three days after worshiping Jesus as the Messiah, were already doubting his true identity as the Christ. And so this is the trap the Sanhedrin is setting. And of course, Jesus is aware of this trap. Uh, And he responds to their question by asking his own question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now we should understand what Jesus is doing here. I think it might be easy for us to read the words of Jesus and think that he's avoiding the question beloved he he's not avoiding the question here he is responding in a very common way for that day it was very common a very common form of debate and argument in that time especially in the jewish rabbinical tradition to respond to questions with another question and i think the inquisitors here would not have found Jesus' reply out of line. They were, using, they were used to this style of debate. So they come and ask Jesus a question, and He says, I'm going to reply by asking you another question. He's not avoiding the question. Instead, He is using a common form of argument to respond. And we should see the cleverness of Christ's question. By asking them about John the Baptist, he was putting these religious leaders of Israel back into a corner, really. It was a checkmate sort of move in an intellectual chess game. A move in which Christ's opponents, they knew that there was no way for them to win this match. Because when he asked them about the baptism of John, understand, he wasn't just asking them, you know, do you think that what John was doing when he was baptizing people was godly? He was asking them what their assessment was of the entire life and ministry and message of John the Baptist. His baptism was a representation of his entire work, you see. What John preached, what he taught, everything he said and everything he did was presented at, or rep, I'm sorry, was represented and embodied in the baptism he administered. And so Jesus is really saying, do you believe that John the Baptist was a true prophet sent by God? Keep that in mind, you can see how clever Christ's response is. The religious leaders knew that they were backed in the corner because look at verses 5 and 6. If we say from heaven, Jesus will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say for man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. We need to understand the predicament, the, the sort of checkmate move that Jesus pulls on these guys. The religious leaders of Israel, by and large, rejected John the Baptist as a true prophet. Luke himself tells us that in chapter 7, verse 30. Luke writes, The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by John. Luke goes on in verse 33 of chapter 7 to record Jesus as saying to the religious leaders of Israel, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And so the religious leaders, what they believed about John the Baptist was already well known. And they were absolutely right when they discussed this question among themselves. If they say that John was from God, a true prophet, then Jesus will immediately respond by saying, why did you not believe Him? This has implications, direct implications, to their question concerning Christ's authority. Because if the religious leaders of Israel truly believe that John was a prophet from God, They should have believed what John said. They should have received John's message as being from God. And if they would have received John's message as being from God, they would have already known by whose authority Jesus did these things. Because remember, beloved, it was John the Baptist himself who bore clear testimony to the true identity of Jesus Christ. It was John himself who said Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire in Luke chapter 3, verse 16? It was John himself who declared in Matthew 3, verse 14, that he, as the great baptizer, needed to be baptized by Jesus. Perhaps most pointedly, most famously, it was John the Baptist himself who declared in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Had the religious leaders of Israel, had this Inquisition truly believed that John the Baptist was from God Himself, then Jesus would have been right to respond to them by saying, why did you not believe Him? If they would have believed John, they would have believed Jesus. And they would have never questioned the authority of Christ. On the other hand, as the Inquisition is discussing how to answer Jesus, they say to themselves, if we answer the the question honestly, meaning if we say that we believe he is from man, meaning he was not a true prophet, then we will run the risk of the crowds rising up against us and stoning us to death. Which, by the way, is pretty remarkable to think. It shows you how convinced the people of Israel were that John was a true prophet He may have been gone, he may have been killed, beloved, but he was not forgotten. The the Jews still loved him. They still believed he was a true prophet from God. They believed it so firmly, in fact, that the religious leaders of Israel seem to believe there's a very real threat that if they make an official statement in this moment and say John was not a true prophet, that the crowds would rise up even there in the temple and stone them to death. And so the inquisitors, again, they are completely backed into a corner by Christ's question. And so they reply. Like so many of us do when we find ourselves in similar situations, they answer Jesus by saying, we do not know. We don't know if John was a prophet of God or if he was a false prophet. We just don't know. They lied. They lied. They knew or they thought they knew. They had already made their decision up about John the Baptist that he was not a prophet from God. But when they were confronted confronted by Jesus, they lied. They lied because they knew they were caught. They answered like cowards, beloved. Their conviction was that John was not from God, but their conviction was not strong enough for them. Even as religious leaders, people who were supposed to be shepherds of the people of Israel. If John was not from God and they were fully convinced he was not from God, they had a duty as the shepherds of Israel to protect the people from false prophets. And they wouldn't do it. They were cowards, beloved, and they lied to Jesus by saying, we do not know. And I think everyone there listening to this public exchange between Jesus and and the inquisitors knew that these religious leaders were answering like cowards. They were not dumb. And they were seeing for themselves how their religious leaders uh, were cowardly and in that moment. They knew how, they, how the leaders treated John the Baptist. They knew how their leaders refused to be baptized by him. How they rejected his gospel of repent for the kingdom of God is now at hand. And now, again, these men who are supposed to be shepherds in that moment could not and would not answer Jesus honestly about John. And why? Because they were afraid of what men would do to them. That sort of shows you their heart too, doesn't it? You know, pastors, elders, every Christian we're supposed to fear God, not fear men. And these men, if they had the conviction that John was a false prophet, Here they are, cowarding, and they are fearing man more than they fear God. That's a terrible spiritual leader to have. But that's who they were. And they had come to Jesus. They had come to Jesus in the first place in an attempt to discredit Him publicly. And what happens? They end up shaming and discrediting themselves. And by the way, that's what happens to everyone who would attempt to discredit and shame Christ. They will end up discrediting and shaming themselves. And Jesus, verse 8 of our text today, ends the discussion by saying, essentially, you won't tell me the answer to the question that I asked you, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The debate ended. I think we have to say Jesus Jesus won it handsomely. The religious leaders proved themselves to be fools. And Jesus, as if he was living out Proverbs 26, both refused to answer these fools according to their folly, and yet at the same time did answer these fools according to their folly. And even in doing this, Christ proved his authority. He proved his authority. He may not have given him a direct answer, but there is no doubt he proved by which, by what authority he did these things. And now we ask ourselves, beloved, what does this mean for us today? Well, isn't the answer to that question clear? The authority of Jesus Christ is the most important, relevant thing any person could consider. And I think, beloved, the reality is that all of us, whether we are a Christian or not, all of us many times come to Jesus and ask the same question that these religious leaders asked Him on that day. We dare to ask Him, by whose authority? Many people say to Jesus, all of us, in fact, at various points in our lives, come to Jesus and ask, what gives you the right, Jesus? What gives Jesus the right, people ask today, to say what He says? Demand of us the things He demands. Where does Jesus get the the authority, for example, to say that there is no salvation apart from Him? Who is Jesus to say that if anyone is to come to the Father, they must believe in Him? What gives Jesus the right to say that no other religion can lead to eternal life? What gives Jesus the right to tell me how to live my life? What gives Jesus the right to tell me that living with and sleeping with someone who is not my spouse is a sin? What gives Him the right to define marriage? What gives Jesus the right to tell me or tell our culture what is a sinful sexual practice or a sinful sexual identity? What gives Jesus the right to tell me what I can do with my own body or any other body that may be growing inside of me? What gives Jesus the right to tell me that I am a sinner and need to repent? By whose authority does Jesus tell me what to do with my time and my money? How I should spend the Sabbath day? How I should live within the household of God? How I should treat and honor my elders and my pastors? How I should worship the true and living God? Who does Jesus think He is? By whose authority does Jesus tell me that I should love my wife as He loved the church and gave His life for her? Or that wives are to joyfully submit to their husbands as to the Lord? Who does Jesus think he is to demand that if I am to enter his kingdom, I must deny myself and pick up my cross and follow him? Who does he think he is to tell me that if I'm a citizen of the kingdom, I must die to myself, abandon selfish ambitions? Seek to use all that I have and all that I am for His glory and for the building up and the edification of the saints. What or who gives Jesus the right? That is the question the entire human race is still daring to ask the Son of God. And beloved, we are today prone, we are prone to over and over again question the authority of Christ Jesus in our lives. We are prone to over and over again ask Jesus to show us His credentials. Give an account to us to prove His authority. We are prone to over and over again say to Jesus, by whose authority do you say these things or do these things? It's really the root of our sin, beloved. When we sin, are we not questioning the authority of of Jesus Christ? Are we not saying to Him, I have more authority over myself than Jesus does? This is why we call sin rebellion. This is why the Bible calls sin rebellion. It is treason against the authority of the King of Kings. Beloved, His authority is clear. He has already manifested it clearly for us in the pages of Scripture. He is Son of the Most High. The Holy One of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the One who through all things were created and in whom all things have their being. He demands and He is worthy of our complete and utter submission to Him. He acts upon His own authority as the eternal second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son. There is no higher authority than His. And to submit to Him is to submit to God Himself. All of us, beloved, are called to recognize His authority. We're called to bow before Him in repentance, and in reverent worship. We're called to receive Him by faith. And we can know, by the way, that when we do that, when we receive Him by faith, we can know that we will also, by His authority, be saved and given eternal life. All of us, beloved, are to come And pray to him the words of Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground, for I am your servant. Christ doesn't have to prove his authority to us, beloved. He's already proven it. He's proven it to us in the pages of Scripture. The Word of God, the Word of Christ. His authority is in full manifest display in His life and death and resurrection. In His healing of the sick, in the calming of the storms, in the casting out of demons. His authority is proven to us in the establishment, the building up, the spread of the church, the spread of the Gospel. His authority is shown to us every time there is a dead sinner raised to new life, His authority will one day be ultimately displayed in His final judgment, condemnation of those who would dare to question His authority and His establishing of His kingdom forever. May God give us the grace day by day to recognize and to submit to the authority of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who, yes, has every right to demand of us our total allegiance and obedience And yet, beloved, do not forget this. And yet, who has also given himself up and shed his own blood to forgive us for when we, as his bride, dare to question his authority. Don't forget that gospel truth, beloved. We are talking a lot about the authority of Jesus Christ about his lordship, his right to rule and reign over us. But do not forget that he is not a tyrant. But he is our savior. And we desire, hopefully we desire, to submit to Jesus and his authority because he is a good lord. And he has said to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To live in the submission of Christ, to to live a life in submission to His authority. Beloved, it is a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. It's the the seat of deepest joy. It gives us a joy that will last for all eternity. It will far outlast this world. And whatever petty joys we take in material things, whatever sorrows we face, the joy of living in submission to the authority of Jesus Christ will last an eternity. And it is a joy that we will not find in any other master. We will not find this joy in any other authority, even our own.